Chapter One of the Last Chronicle of Barset. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicholas Clifford. The Last Chronicle of Barset by Antony Trollope. Chapter One. How did he get it? I can never bring myself to believe it, John," said Mary Walker, the pretty daughter of Mr. George Walker, attorney of Silverbridge. Walker and Winthrop was the name of the firm, and they were respectable people, who did all the solicitor's business that had to be done in that part of Barsetshire on behalf of the Crown, were employed on the local business of the Duke of Omnium, who was great in those parts, and altogether held their heads up high, as provincial lawyers often do. They, the Walkers, lived in a great brick house in the middle of the town, gave dinners, to which the county gentlemen not unfrequently condescended to come, and in a mild way led the fashion in Silverbridge. "'I can never bring myself to believe it, John,' said Miss Walker. "'You'll have to bring yourself to believe it,' said John, without taking his eyes from his book. "'A clergyman, and such a clergyman, too!' "'I don't see that that has anything to do with it.' and as he now spoke, John did take his eyes off his book. "'Why should not a clergyman turn thief as well as anybody else? You girls always seem to forget that clergymen are only men, after all.' "'Their conduct is likely to be better than that of other men, I think.' "'I deny it utterly,' said John Walker. "'I'll undertake to say that at this moment there are more clergymen in debt in Barsetshire than there are either lawyers or doctors. This man has always been in debt. Since he has been in the county, I don't think he has ever been able to show his face in the high street of Silverbridge. "'John, that is saying more than you have a right to say,' said Mrs. Walker. "'Why, mother, this very cheque was given to a butcher who had threatened a few days before to post bills all about the county, giving an account of the debt that was due to him if the money was not paid at once.' "'More shame for Mr. Fletcher,' said Mary. "'He has made a fortune as butcher in Silverbridge.' "'What has that to do with it? Of course a man likes to have his money. He had written three times to the bishop, and he had sent a man over to Hogglestock to get his little bill settled six days running. You see, he got it at last. Of course a tradesman must look for his money.' "'Mamma, do you think that Mr. Crawley stole the cheque?' Mary, as she asked the question, came and stood over her mother, looking at her with anxious eyes. "'I would rather give no opinion, my dear.' "'But you must think something when everybody is talking about it, mamma. "'Of course my mother thinks he did,' said John, going back to his book. "'It is impossible that she should think otherwise.' "'That is not fair, John,' said Mrs. Walker, "'and I won't have you fabricate thoughts for me, or put the expression of them into my mouth.' The whole affair is very painful, and as your father is engaged in the inquiry, I think that the less said about the matter in this house, the better. I am sure that that would be your father's feeling. Of course I should say nothing about it before him, said Mary. I know that papa does not wish to have it talked about. But how is one to help thinking about such a thing? It would be so terrible for all of us who belong to the church. I do not see that at all, said John. Mr. Crawley is not more than any other man, just because he's a clergyman. I hate all that kind of claptrap. There are a lot of people here in Silverbridge who think the matter shouldn't be followed up just because the man is in a position which makes the crime more criminal in him than it would be in another. 
"'But I feel sure that Mr. Crawley has committed no crime at all,' said Mary. "'My dear,' said Mrs. Walker, "'I have just said that I would rather you would not talk about it. Papa will be in directly.' "'I won't, Mamma. only—' "'Only, yes, just only,' said John. "'She'd go on till dinner if any one would stay to hear her.' "'You've said twice as much as I have, John.' But John had left the room before his sister's last words could reach him. "'You know, Mamma, it is quite impossible not to help thinking of it,' said Mary. "'I dare say it is, my dear. And when one knows the people, it does make it so dreadful.' "'But do you know them? I never spoke to Mr. Crawley in my life, and I do not think I ever saw her.' I knew Grace very well, when she used to come first to Miss Prettyman's school. Poor girl, I pity her. Pity her? Pity is no word for it, Mamma. My heart bleeds for them, and yet I do not believe for a moment that he stole the cheque. How can it be possible? For though he may have been in debt because they have been so very, very poor, yet we all know that he has been an excellent clergyman. When the Robartses were dining here last, I heard Mrs. Robart say that for piety and devotion to his duties she had hardly ever seen any one equal to him, and the Robartses know more of them than anybody. They say that the dean is his great friend. What a pity it is that the Arabin should be away just now when he is in such trouble! And in this way the mother and the daughter went on discussing the question of the clergyman's guilt, in spite of Mrs. Walker's previously expressed desire that nothing more might be said about it. But Mrs. Walker, like many other mothers, was apt to be more free in converse with her daughter than she was with her son. While they were thus talking, the father came in from his office, and then the subject was dropped. He was a man between fifty and sixty years of age, with grey hair, rather short and somewhat corpulent, but still gifted with that amount of personal comeliness which comfortable position and the respect of others will generally seem to give. A man rarely carries himself meanly, whom the world holds in high esteem. "'I am very tired, my dear,' said Mr. Walker. "'You look tired. Come and sit down for a few minutes before you dress. Mary, get your father's slippers.' Mary instantly ran to the door. "'Thanks, my darling,' said the father. And then he whispered to his wife, as soon as Mary was out of hearing, "'I fear that unfortunate man is guilty. I fear he is, I fear he is.' "'Oh, heavens, what will become of them?' "'What, indeed, she has been with me to-day.' "'Has she? And what could you say to her?' "'I told her at first that I could not see her, and begged her not to speak to me about it. I tried to make her understand that she should go to someone else, but it was of no use. And how did it end? I asked her to go in to you, but she declined. She said you could do nothing for her. And does she think her husband guilty? No, indeed. She think him guilty? Nothing on earth, or from heaven either, as I take it, would make her suppose it to be possible. She came to me simply to tell me how good he was. I love her for that, said Mrs. Walker. So did I, but what is the good of loving her? Thank you, dearest. I'll get your slippers for you some day, perhaps. The whole county was astir in this matter of the alleged guilt of the Reverend Josiah Crawley, the whole county almost as keenly as the family of Mr. Walker of Silverbridge. 
The crime laid to his charge was the theft of a cheque for twenty pounds, which he was said to have stolen out of a pocket-book left or dropped in his house, and to have passed his money into the hands of one Fletcher, a butcher of Silverbridge, to whom he was indebted. Mr. Crawley was in those days the perpetual curate of Hogglestock, a parish in the northern extremity of East Barsetshire, a man known by all who knew anything of him to be very poor, an unhappy, moody, disappointed man, upon whom the troubles of the world always seemed to come with a double weight. But he had ever been respected as a clergyman, since his old friend, Mr. Arabin, the dean of Barchester, had given him the small incumbency which he now held. Though moody, unhappy, and disappointed, he was a hard-working, conscientious pastor among the poor people with whom his lot was cast, for in the parish of Hogglestock there resided only a few farmers higher in degree than field labourers, brickmakers, and such like. Mr. Crawley had now passed some ten years of his life at Hogglestock, and during those years he had worked very hard to do his duty, struggling to teach the people around him perhaps too much of the mystery, but something also of the comfort of religion. That he had become popular in his parish cannot be said of him. He was not a man to make himself popular in any position. I have said that he was moody and disappointed. He was even worse than this. He was morose, sometimes almost to insanity. There had been days in which even his wife had found it impossible to deal with him otherwise than as an acknowledged lunatic. And this was known among the farmers, who talked about their clergymen among